This podcast is brought to you by Ideate and Execute. Do you want to drive innovation in your organization, futurize your enterprise, ideate massively valuable new products, or execute them to market? Then contact us today at ideateandexecute.com and get started. Why listen to the past when you can listen to the future? Welcome to the Think Future Podcast, broadcasting from deep in the heart of Silicon Valley, California. We focus on innovation, startups and the future, not necessarily those and not necessarily in that order. Here's your host. So, let's uh, introduce yourself and tell me a little bit about your organization and what you're passionate about and we'll go from there. My name is Helen Figgy, and I am the Chief Strategy Officer for MedicaSoft, and uh, very excited to um, really think of the future of all the technologies that are out there. I'm a pharmacist by trade, but I've worked in several startup companies successfully that later went to market, and um, I think there's a lot of opportunity as we move forward. So do you, do you, are you, so you're in a larger organization now, so it's more corporate? Um, I've worked in three uh, fortune companies, but I'm in a bootstrap startup company founded in 2007 and really a lot of innovative products that we have um, for connecting data, which is really invaluable now. We need the data to really make sound decisions as we, um, you know, practice healthcare and really deliver it as it should be to everyone um, uniformly and equally um, effective. Absolutely right. So are you saying that you you create that that data layer of patient data so that that's where other companies can come in and use it via APIs or where, where do you fit in the ecosystem? So we have a platform that really is able to collect, analyze, um, digest and deliver it um, regardless of where it originates from. So the ability to have the data, but in a practical sense of use for the end user, the consumer, because you know, there's a rise of consumerism in healthcare. And Mm -hmm. I think we're seeing that more and more. And while cost is a major factor in how consumers make their decisions, research really shows the positive effectiveness of the ability to, for it to be personal. So, so does this, you're pulling together, so are you actually gathering or aggregating health data uh, for a particular patient from different sources? Is that, is that how you operate? Yes, we can do that. Um, we can um, collect data from any source. Um, and I think that's, really a powerful, impactful statement because we have mobile apps. But what we do is have it um, on all of the fire standards and have the ability to really um, have it digested and effectively utilized. So are you aiming to become sort of like the the sort of source of truth for, for health data for patients? Well, I think um, reliable data is invaluable and having it to be able to deliver to those people that need it and for it to be in real time um, is really needed. And I think that's what we um, strive to achieve. But being able to have the data, analyze the data, effectively use it 
um, is, you know, sounds easier than it, than it really is. And we have the technology that supports that. Well, you have the data is basically scattered everywhere, right? It's all over the place in, in different databases elsewhere. So how does somebody, does somebody subscribe to you? Or let's say I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm an independent office. Do I just sort of sign up to you and you, get, you t- guys take care of all my data and, and then it's shared amongst all of your customers? How, how, does, that, how does that work? Well, we have customers that are you know, providers. We have a platform. So we have exchanges that um, we use exchange health information exchanges use our our platform to accumulate all the various pieces of data that um, come into their their organization. So um, we sort of are the foundation of where the data sits is secured, stored, and can be pulled and analyzed based on um, you know provider need and the consumer. We have a personal health record, a patient portal that is a, uh, allows patients to get their data and communicate with their providers and have the ability to have their um, healthcare at their fingertips. So are you, do you also do the analysis of, so when new data comes into the system, do you actually come back and say, oh, you know, this data conflicts with this data. Maybe you should do something different here. Is that, is that part of your service as well? Encompassing, yes. Okay. So I would, it would get a warning. So if some new data came in that conflicted and said, oh, these, these two drugs interact, or there's, there's issues here, or these two treatments interact or cause a negative, some kind of harm, would that bounce back to the providers and say, hey, you know, something's going on here that you need to take a look at? In real time, we're able to direct and uh, provide um, the ability for um, for providers, individuals, consumers to be able to see that. Really depending who's using um, what in our solution repertoire. We have a platform that's fire standards based. We have been fire standards since 2007 on the onset, um, but we have a patient portal, a personal health record that's used um, in many states. So um, with analytics, compiled in both. So very exciting for our um, yeah. organization. No, I love this idea. I think th- I think this is like way overdue, but I know that there's a lot of people sort of pushing back on the privacy issues because, you know, you have all of this data and you're collecting from one of these sources. How do you, how do you respond to those kind of questions? Well, I think privacy is the utmost importance. Everyone should be concerned about the privacy um, of their data and being able to know that they are delivering and um, delivering data to a secure location. And I think we're really getting a lot of those conversations now, even not only in healthcare, but we're seeing, you know, data hackers in all of the businesses that we're seeing. And um, I think that having uh, checks and balances within the technology itself is very powerful. So. I um, definitely think that privacy is probably the utmost in things that um, we garner as sacred. So do you do, based on all this data that you've got, do you have, do you do any kind of predictive analytics or use AI to figure out that based on what I'm seeing that this, this particular patient is heading in that direction and, and provide that kind of advice back to the providers? 
Yeah, we can trend and uh, create analysis. So, you know, the biggest uh, silent killer is blood pressure, for instance. So we're able to trend and track blood pressure readings and say, you know, over a period of time, 24 hour period, you know, what was the average blood pressure? People do it often now, you know, it's routine with um, blood glucose is for diabetics to see spikes in during the day of where they may need a special attention. So um, creating algorithms that people can use, um, creating best uh, practices are things that are very um, uh, uh, task oriented for some, but if technology is used correctly, um, it's quite um, easy for the providers and the end users to appreciate it. So you you have all of this all of this AI in your systems, is that right? Within the, within the platform, it's all built in as one single solution. Because you can't just have a platform that collects data; it just sits there. Data is only as relevant as the question you're asking data. So the important thing is to really be able to get the question answered from the data that's supplied. And you know, this is what we're seeing a lot in, in healthcare in the past, people had electronic health records and they had uh, just inundated with data, but it may not have been relevant data at the time of the question being answered. If you're a diabetic and you wanna know your blood sugars, um, you don't need your temperature. You want to be able to have at your fingertips the idea to have a diagnosis and support a decision of next steps in treating any um, illness. Now, do you also, can you also accept sort of like live data feeds? Like say, for example, I have one of those diabetes sensors and it's it's connected by Bluetooth to my phone. Is that data continuously updated and loaded into your system as well? Or that does that, can you support that kind of sort of real time uploading of data? Yeah, it's all in, on, in the cloud. So it's real-time data. We do a phenomenal job um, of being able to track um, COVID results as an example. You know, now employers, universities, once you get a COVID test, we have, you know, um, individuals who may get six, seven COVID tests until the vaccine's available. Because when you're exposed, your employer wants you to go get tested. We have the um, actual ability to be able to print out real-time a COVID report And Mm -hmm. then you're able to bring it to your employer, bring it to your school and say, okay, I had my test uh, yesterday and it came back negative. I can return to work. Um, So things like that that are really extremely relevant, I think, in healthcare. Um, And we're going to see that more and more. But will you be able to get to a point where you're actually ingesting the real life data? So off of things like smartwatches, where this thing is tracking my my heart rate at all times, does that, is there, do you have ability to pull that data straight up into your system? Yes, in our patient patient portal, our personal health record, um, the consumer is able to be able to use that and uh, trend and track. So that's, and that's something that's totally functional and uh, necessary. So um, everyone has a mobile app now these days and being able to talk to and exchange or uh, deposit data from those mobile apps is, um, you know, critical for, you know, our lifestyles that we're seeing, which are very, you know, uh, transient, uh, diverse, geographically uh, confined at times. So we can't get to every place we need. But I think this technology allows um, uh, balancing 
the delivery of healthcare. And I think that we're going to, you know, out of all this pandemic, telehealth and a lot of the consumer driven things that have been remote, um, we're seeing a lot of behavioral health apps um, that are out there. And I think that's very powerful too. We're, we'll be able to uh, appreciate that data in real time. You should mention that because I'm thinking that that's the next step, right? I mean, you've got your sort of like your hardcore health data, but then you've got your behavioral data that sits on top of that, which sort of drives those 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 health outcomes. So are you in the process of, of capturing the behavioral data? And then maybe on top of that, maybe even the social data where somebody says, oh, I'm going to go grab a hot dog. And you know that they shouldn't be grabbing a hot dog. Are you able to turn around and say, hey, dude, you shouldn't be grabbing a hot dog based on your medical history? Yeah, that's the interaction that technology has with the with the consumer. And I think that's the wave of the future. And those are things that I think, you know, for a sustainable business model, uh, you're going to be, you're going to need those type of um, um, executionable steps for any technology in order for it to survive. But we're seeing a huge amount of behavioral health um, that's you know influxing into healthcare now, just because of the isolation, um, the anxiety, um, all those factors that once you know were able to be worked through if you were able to get outside. But many people have been hindered by that, and we're seeing a rise in behavioral health for sure. But data <laughs> is data, and I think if you have a practical approach to accumulating it, storing it securely, analyzing it, and answering the question that you're asking of your data, that is powerful. Right. So do you, do you have the ability to, to sort of dig into all of that data and then, and then do that kind of analysis, which then bounces back like the, the change of behavior? Like you could say like, okay, you should be changing your behavior and doing this or that, like if you did have the behavioral data, would you be able to actually make recommendations on behavior change? You know, I think technology, if it works correctly, is able to be asked any amount of questions. So behaviorally, um, if what you're eating, should you be moving more? Um, you know, trending people who walk with a dog um, are healthier than those that don't walk or own a dog, you know, all these type of studies that are out there, data can really create new possibilities in healthcare because it gives us patterns. Data is all about patterns. And the more patterns you see in, in certain groups of data, um, the more you can make sound decisions. And I think we're gonna be seeing that more and more, but you know, our company is very focused on um, securing data, making it effective for the provider, for the consumer, and creating a better way of, of life and creating positive lifestyle. If there's changes needed to be made, look at the data, the relevant data. And I keep using the word relevant data because providers, clinicians, consumers, there's so much data out there, you're, you're in data overload. And so when do you get to the point where you know, I don't want to be reminded I have diabetes, you know, okay, I have to do my blood sugar six times a day. You know, sometimes that is just one of those <clears throat> things that maybe I just don't want to remind myself that I have it, but I need to take care of it. So data is there when you need it. Absolutely. 
So have you been able to, since you've been able to aggregate all of this data from all these different patients all over the place, have you been able to discover any new patterns or, or signals in that, look, certain types of behaviors drive other drive certain types of, of health outcomes? Well, I think um, what you can do is look at any question and look at the data. I think, you know, I was always um, intrigued during the COVID pandemic that we're, you know, occurring now. Um, you know, in the beginning, it would have been great to have some technologies and you know, electronic health records, as an example, um, to be able to say, what's the trend here? Is, is, are people um, are more prone to um, the COVID um, virus because they're over their ideal body weight? Do they have blood sugar issues? Um, do they have blood pressure issues? You know, trending that data up front early on could have, may have possibly prevented, you know, some um, other issues that, you know, um, we saw. But they're starting to see now, you know, obesity. People who were obese had slightly, you know, more, uh, um, indication of developing, you know, COVID than someone who was an ideal body weight. I saw something like that in one of the write-ups. So data, being able to track it and trend it, I think uh, it's still an ongoing discussion because we don't know what we know and what we don't know until we see it. Yeah, because you could, you might have been able to see that obesity contributed to it, so there could have been targeted lockdowns. I mean, it, it seems funny, but they could have said, okay, if you're you know more than twenty pounds overweight, you know, stay at home. But if you're not, but that that could conceivably been something that came out of the data, right? Yeah, and that's where I think collecting data is great, um, but being able to again use it. And I always say this because everyone says, well, I got this whole ton of data, but what are you doing with it to make it effective? And I think that, um, as I said early on, if we were able to catalog some of these pieces of data, see where there were trends and start you know, pinpointing those trends, uh, vitamin D3 deficiency, for instance, um, the elderly and younger people, um, were exposed and had COVID and they realized, well, gee, vitamin D3, elderly people have bone loss and the younger populations don't ha get enough, you know, sunlight or calcium or whatever for their bones. And I just say that in the top of my head, but, you know, reading those studies and someone just looking at the data, um, it's, it, it could have been sitting there. I'm not saying it would change anything, but again, looking at it relevance. Yeah, and I think the thing is, I think the key is, is if you have the data and you can come to correlations early on, then you can make decisions better, right? Because we're looking at these things after the fact now, right? We're going, oh, if we had D3 or if they had sunlight or if they had the, but if, we're, if we had the data and we were able to make the correlations quickly, then we could say, okay, we need targeted lockdowns of this type of the population. We need to, uh, you know, up the D3 because that seems effective, but we just, it just seems that it takes so long for this data to get into to, for us to be able to make correlations and decisions based on the data. But is, if we use something like your system and if it was well-informed enough, would we be able to make those decisions faster? Well, I think, you know, data is, if it's accumulated and it's accumulated correctly from various sources, um, then it, it should work. 
you're collecting it for a purpose, right? What's that purpose? To help others, help healthcare. And we're gonna be seeing this because whatever's coming down the road, we'll, we'll be collecting that data. And we, it would be great if we had models that learned from the past to avoid possible future issues. Right. Now, would you say that you guys are the biggest player in this space or are there, are there other players as well? And do you integrate with them? Um, we, we have, um, you know, we, we, we believe we are um, um, very unique in the sense that we have created our structures and, you know, everyone has competitors, right? They all say they have competitors, but everyone has yep. a niche and um, our claim to fame is really our fire force standards that we have um, really been a part of, you know, from the get go. So having the ability to continue on a path that people now are joining, I think, uh, you know, we would be very um, humbled to say that we thought of it way, way, way before um, many others. Right. So you, so would, would you, would it be uh, accurate to say that you sort of integrate these systems? So I have Stanford over here and I have Palo Alto over here, and these are two completely separate systems. And then you sort of, you act as the middleman who can sort of have those systems communicate with each other. So if I'm in Stan, if I'm a Palo, a Palo Alto uh, patient and I go to Stanford, they're able to access my records and vice versa. Yeah, and that's um, what we um, supply, I, um, you know, for uh, health information exchanges like in the United States. You have one, you know, hub that collects many uh, uh, entities together, and that hub is collecting the data, and then um, you can access that data from a variety of sources um, because it comes from um, one source but is uh, secured in another. So it's what we, we would call a platform, an, an exchange platform, so yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Okay, so you provide that. And are you, are you already ingesting the behavioral information? Because we were talking about that earlier, but are you ingesting that behavioral health information as well? We uh, already um, have behavioral health that's, you know, coming from electronic health records um, and mobile apps that are um, in various sources. So collecting data regardless of the source um, is what we can um, uh, secure, yes. Okay, so it doesn't make a difference. But um, you're, you're still not pushing back, you're still not doing the, the behavioral recommendations though, that's, that's to come. Well, apps and various other sources that have these specific um, deliverables, if you will, like behavioral health, most of them come in um, um, apps in the app store. And that data is sits somewhere um, or it sits nowhere in a silo. And we're able to secure that data and put it into a platform of a global entity. So say if you have a behavioral health app loaded on your phone and you want to present it to your uh, psychologist who's at uh, one of your institutions, that data would go into that to your provider and the provider's platform or EHRs in turn would be connected to say an exchange in their state or something like that. So the data's really com composed uh, from one source, 
but it's secured and stored in uh, its end um, its end platform, and we're that end platform. Okay. So it's the it's the app itself that makes the decisions, not you, not you. So you don't have that decision making layer. We have the decision making layer if it's asked through like an electronic health record, or we don't prescribe from a platform. We we give the data to the prescriber who then talks to the you know, patient or the consumer. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Cause then they, they have that decision logic in there. So I want, I want to pivot to something you were saying earlier about you, you, you worked in corporate and then you worked in startup, which environment do you like better? I think startup is very exciting because it's very innovative. It's less structured. And if you have a great idea with great um, skills and you're open-minded, um, you could surely make an awful lot of impact in a person's life. And also, um, I think it adds to healthcare. There's a lot of great, great technologies out there that aren't well packaged and aren't well understood and they fall to the wayside. But if you've got a really good startup that's got a really good concept, um, it could really take off. And I think that's really an exciting part to be able to see people create something that really makes a difference in someone's life. Right. And I was talking to somebody like that who does uh, startups in New England in the healthcare space, but he's saying that there's so much regulation. It's really, really tough to get these things um, moving forward. Are you fine? Did you find the same thing? Well, I think there's a lot of regulations, but I think they're necessary regulations because you want things that aren't going to pollute healthcare. You want, you know, um, technologies that are going to support and make things better. And I think one of the issues that technology companies have is they think they have one great idea and they're going to build it, they're going to market it, they're going to sell it, and then they're going to try to find someone to buy it. And, yep. you know, that's, that's a startup cycle right there. You, you, startup <laughs> cycle, right? But <laughs> if you have one little weak link in any of that, um, it doesn't go very far. And, you know, people do sell vision. They sell the future of what it could look like, but it's still got to have a little bit of the backbone to say, yeah, there's something here. And what's the differentiator? It's sort of like when you're on, uh, you know, it's three o'clock in the morning and QVC's on and they've got all these little gadgets. And it's like, for $19.99, you can have this. And you look at the gadget and like, why didn't I think of that? That's something like, why didn't I think of that? And then it's like a billion dollar product. So, you know, it's like uh, that sort of in healthcare technology, think of something that you cannot live without. Because see, so many people have apps now that, okay, you know, there's one for temperature, there's one for circadian rhythm, there's one for every known- There's hundreds of apps for each of those things. Like, how do you know which is best, right? Right, but if I don't suffer from that, illness, I won't need your app. And if you look at the behavioral health apps today, there's so many of them because people go to one app, then they switch to the other because they don't like this. And it's the consumerism, it's the personalized care and relationship with the provider that grows a technology. It's different now because healthcare is consumer-based as it always should be. Yeah. So when you say consumer-based healthcare versus non-consumer-based, 
What, what exactly do you mean? How do you, how do you define that? Well, I think consumers are, um, you know, you have to know who the consumer is. What I'm looking for in a provider or a technology may be something completely different than what you are looking for. But research shows that positive experiences, personalized care and relationships with providers um, really grow a technology in their importance. And these factors have become even more um, profound than even, you know, end results. We would always be concerned in the past of people saying, okay, I just, I just want the answer. I don't care how I get it. But now that delivery is even as important as the end result. And um, we're seeing this more and more because of the coronavirus exposure, this, the, the extra personal touch is really, um, I think making it a difference. And these people who have these technologies are really gonna have to build that into the technology. But digital tools are not just about technology, it's about the consumer's um, experience. What is the experience that they want to get out of any technology today? And I think yeah. that's where these startup companies have a great, a great idea. But if you have a topic, you can't explain its relevance, no matter how smart you are or how great the product is, it won't go anywhere because people don't get its need. And um, the output of any technology is just as important as the success of its concept. Absolutely. So you're, you're thinking that it's, it sounds like the pendulum is swinging in the other direction is that more people want to be involved, like very involved in their healthcare decisions, as opposed to before where it was people are like, Oh, I don't really know anything. I'm going to trust my doctor. I'm going to trust the, trust the, the provider. But now it's more like, I really want to know what's going on. I really want to know how, how, you know, how to get better myself. So I want more agency in my healthcare decisions. Do you see it's, it's moving in that direction more? Yeah, I think there's there's definitely brand loyalty. If you look at models like CVS and Amazon, they did a lot of probably studies to understand their client base, you know, what they needed. They wanted Swiss, uh, swift, fast service, convenient service. Um, they wanted um, innovation that was constantly, you know, um, at everyone's fingertips. And that's really, we're seeing that in healthcare we want the answer, we want it now, we want it correct, and we want it presented in a nice way. Oh, mm -hmm. and by the way, we don't want it too expensive, but we need all of this and we need it now. That's just how we're living our world and how we're seeing people live, whether it go through a drive-through and people get their breakfast versus you know spending an extra 20 minutes at home to make it themselves. I want it now, I want it fast, I want it right. Oh, and I want it to look very, you know, um, um, aesthetically pleasing. So oh, yeah. pleasing is pleasure. very important. Okay. It, it almost papers right. over everything, right? <laughs> right. But I still, you know, at the end of the day, if I have a terminal illness, I want to hear from the best person, the most intelligent person who could tell me the practical sense of my longevity with this terminal illness. So the demand is high for the intelligence factor at the end as well. So, you know, healthcare is definitely changing. And I think these technology, these new technology um, startups have some really great ideas, but they've got to remember all of these 
facets of a successful product, of a successful company, um, in order to really get what they want out of it, which is growth of a company and be, you know, an everyday household name. I think people go into healthcare, at least I as a pharmacist, not once when I was in school or thinking of it, people didn't say, I want to go to medical school because I want to be rich, or I want to go to pharmacy school because I want to be rich. No, we went to really help people. So I think startup companies have good intentions, but your end game, of course, you want to make money. Of course, you want to, you know, want this successful, but put your heart in it because people will know. Oh, yeah. I've always said that for, from startup founders, the, the ones who are in it for the money, you know, I, I'm not, I have no time for them. It's like, tell me what you want to do. How do you want to dent the universe? How do you want to improve people's lives? You know, then work backwards from there to figure out how, how to make money out of it. Exactly. And, you know, what's important to you may not be important to me. What's my long-term health goals? Um, what's the experience I want to get out of my health care? We have to change now because it's no longer a dictated system, but rather this is what I want and this is how I feel I need it delivered to me. And we just have to go with the flow. And I think that's why startups are very exciting. In more you know, corporate, bigger um, entities, there's more structure and there's more room for, um, and, and there's not enough room for innovation in the sense that you've got a lot of channels to flush it through. Startup companies, if you've got a really brilliant idea, really brilliant product that really would help everybody, there's your cha-ching. Yeah, exactly, exactly. All right, so let's, uh, let's think about the future a bit. So it's 2031, it's 10 years from now, where do you think things are going to be in your space? I think people are going to be continue to be mobile. We're going to continue to have boundaryless um, healthcare. You know, people go to Boston from all over the world. People go to the Mayo Clinic, and I think that's very exciting because at the end of the day, regardless of our ethnicity, regardless of where we live in the world, we all still are human. So diabetes is going to be, you know, best practices going to be handled the same part, um, regardless of where you are in the world, it should be, it's the delivery of it that that stops it or it's, uh, or the inequity of people not being able to receive that best care. But humans really together, I think, get to the practical sense. And I'm really into preventive care. I think there's so many things like when the COVID, um, the COVID um, uh, pandemic started, you know, I'm a pharmacist. So um, two things, which I, I always said is, you know, always, even you tell everyone, your kids or whoever, wash your hands, you know, make sure you don't touch a body part. And if you do wash your hands, you know, simple things like that. Um, that people really forgot or never maybe implemented. But in healthcare, we always did that. So I want really to get back to people thinking, how can I live my life great today and try to prevent? Because prevention is the best medicine. So I'm hoping to see a lot of technology that prevents versus tracks chronic diseases. And I think that's huge. 
Yeah, no, I think you're absolutely right. I think prevention is where we need to go because if you think think about it, these conditions that people are in, you know, unless it's a genetic condition, is something that you know their lifestyle contributed to, right? So if we can if we can capture it ahead of time before they get there, or, and we know the patterns. I mean, we already know pretty pretty much know the patterns that get people to where they are. Like you you will probably won't if you don't have a, a genetic propensity for diabetes, you may not uh, generate it unless you you know, are obese or eat specific foods or whatever. So there, there's, I think we know the, the paths. We just have to sort of train people or train human beings to understand that if you if you go down this path and that's where you're going to end up. So you're right. I mean, the, the preventive piece is, I think, the most important. As long as we can do that, then we'll definitely, you know, reduce the amount of end states that we, that we have right now. Yeah. And I, it's very interesting. That's absolutely correct. And, you know, um, people are into these power drinks and you know, vaping and things like that, that right now look innocent, but long-term um, we don't know. And I'd love to see data track people of, you know, aging, you know, we, you look on the street and sometimes you'll see somebody and they may be, you know, um, 75 years old and they look like they're 40. I love to see their data over time and what they ate and what they took. And that would be pretty interesting, um, you know, a technology as, as, a, as, a, as a preventive way to age. I think if people, you know, do something like that, that would certainly be something I would love to get an app for, you know, um, things like that. But uh, consumerism, you know, we're gonna see more and more of it the question is, what will it look like 10 years from now if people continue? We have an epidemic, pandemic of prediabetes in our earlier age populations because of sedentary lifestyles. You know, I read an article where a lot of schools don't have, you know, um, recess because they're afraid the kids are going to, you know, fall on the jungle gym and get sued. So we have created a, such a sedentary lifestyle. Pre-diabetes is now so common that people just say, oh yeah, here's my glucometer. I've got to, you know, check my sugars. And it's like, well, you don't necessarily need that. Um, you know, let's walk for 15 minutes. Um, the simplest things that we could do in our life. You don't need to really have a gym membership if you can't afford it. People studies show that if you walk a dog, 30 minutes a day, you live longer than if you don't have a dog because dogs force you to get up every day and walk them else. What would be the ramifications? So exactly. walking is free. All these simple things in our life create apps. And I know we have walking apps and things, but a prescription of a new pair of, you know, sneakers every six months for everyone, something innovative. And by the way, here's a technology that supports that. You know, something creative, I think consumers would love. Yeah, I think the problem is, is that human beings want, we want this quick hit response, right? It's all, we, it's all about the low hanging fruit. It's like, oh, if I don't eat that today, I might lose a pound tomorrow. It's, we don't look at the long term and say, you know what, if I do this now, I mean, I, I, I I know that I know this guy who is basically the exact same age in, as me, but he's just so much more fit because when I was a kid, I used to eat, you know, eat at my parents' fast food restaurant and he would play basketball. 
right? But we, we're basically exactly the same person, but he's so much more fit than I am because of the life choices that he made. So if we can get to somebody early enough and say, you know, make these life choices and you'll be healthier in the long run and, and get people to understand that long-term vision as opposed to just looking at what's going to happen to me tomorrow or the day after, then I think we'll be much further down the line. Yeah, it was, if you start thinking like that, but you're right, people want a quick fix. They want it now because everything's technology driven. But, you know, they, there was a, some conversation with um, kids that said, what's the, the ingredients in a cake? How do you bake a cake? And like 90% of them said, you need a box. <laughs> flour, eggs. You know, and cooking shows are number one on the TV, but people still go to fast food. I want everyone to support their local restaurants. I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying like, you know, learn the simple basic entities of existence because we will suffer 10 years from now if we don't change the trajectory of better health, we will have diabetes as you know every a common entity in everyone's yeah. data profile pre-diabetes um in things like that but again bringing it back to the data where are the trends but we're seeing very obvious trends with pre-diabetes in our adolescent and our um youth and that was something that would only hit in your 40s and 50s maybe 15 10 15 years ago so it's getting pretty scary and all of the technology that we have, the irony is, are we any better, are we any healthier with all of it? A reminder to do this, a reminder to do that. So that's why I tell everyone in the startups, I've worked for, um, consulted for three startups, four startups now. Um, and the reality is, what are you trying to answer and why do we need your product? And why do we need it now? And will I need it 10 years from now? And that's what's so great about like all these little 1999 gadgets. Cause like, I always have to dust my floor. I always have to leave and have a, you know, a cat, cat feeder that feeds for five days. You know, like who thought of that? But that's brilliant, right? We need that in healthcare. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. And but if we could just get people to think that long-term vision and say, you know, what you're doing today is going to impact your life far in the future. But unfortunately, that's like a human nature thing. It's hard for us to get over that, get over that hump. And you're right. I mean, basically, te technology has accelerated things in the opposite direction. Now we, th we need things even faster and quicker. And it, since we can't provide that instant gratification, then yeah, you know, well, I'll have the cake today because you know, it's going to taste good. I'm not going to think about the, you know, 10 pounds and the diabetes I'm going to have, you know, five years down the road. So I, that's, that's a tough nut to crack. And I'd love to see some startup, you know, figure out how do we get people to think more long-term? And I think, you know, the behavioral health apps are one thing, but it's exactly, I need a technology to help me figure out how to care, like how, why I want to lose weight is completely different than perhaps how you want, why you want to lose weight. We need something that, that gets into a person's own persona to make, figure out how they tip. Then you can understand, you know, you can tell someone, gee, 
If you continue on your prediabetes route that you have now, your elevated sugars that are slightly abnormal, if you continue, um, you're going to end up on dialysis. And then they'll look at you like they'll be 22 and they'll, well, gee, that's like 40 years from now. I may, you know, be. I can't think that far out. I can barely think to right? <laughs> right. So even I'm an executive in residence at the Mass College of Pharmacy, Health Science University in Boston. And I tell the students, I'm like, think ahead of where you want to be because time, there's two things that never change. You, we all age the same time, you know, and we may age and look differently, but we can't stop, the, stop that clock in the aging process as humans and how we live our lives is only up to you. And that's why I say, regardless of where you are in the world, we all are born, we all die, and we all age in the same time frame as, as everyone else. So there's data right there. And I think at the end, technology is supposed to support data. Technology is something that we have so much of data information that we can't put it on paper. So we need to accumulate it. Jeepers, we got an awful lot of data right now. And um, now we got to start using it effectively. You know what, what I'd love to see is an app which takes all of your current behavioral data, extrapolates it out 10, 15, 20 years, and actually creates a video of you in the future, showing you where you're going to be or how you're going to be, what you're going to be like, continuing that path. Because I think that will really hit home to people. Is like, that's going to be me if I keep doing that. Because I think we just have to continuously hammer people with these images of where they're going to be in the future if they continue down the path before they can change. Because it's almost like, you know, people don't change unless there's a crisis. I mean, this is what happened with COVID, right? There was a crisis and people started working from home. We were able, we've been able to work from home for, for 20 plus years, but we haven't been doing it because of COVID, because we didn't really have a crisis driving us to do that. So it's almost like if, it, if there's no crisis in people's lives, then they're not going to change. So is there any way around that? Well, I think you have to add to that technology to get into someone's head of why they care. And I say that, and I don't know how to put that into words of, but what drives me to be successful or drive someone else to be successful or why I you know, exercise and why someone else exercises, it's the consistency that is needed to sustain a good lifestyle and health. But that's where people fall off because we have all of these Apple watches. I've had diabetic patients who have actually shut off their Apple watches and things like, oh, I'm going out to really? dinner. I don't want the Why, because it was reminding them to check their blood sugar or what yeah, was I wanna, it? I'm going to shut it off because I, I have a special occasion. And it's like, okay, so people work around that. And so we got to get into someone's mind to say, how can we get you to understand this is relevant for you? Because people think you're, you know, you, you remember, when you're, you're, you're in your 20s, you're invincible. It's like, hey, if I hit 40, I'm lucky, right? And so time does not matter as much as probably as you get in your life cycle. And I think we've got to take all of that into account. How do you do that? And that's the, you know, that's the billion dollar question in healthcare. 
We are no more healthier now than we were without all of the technology to remind us how unhealthy we are. Yeah, it seems to me that uh, no matter our technological progress in whatever area, we always seem to be exactly where we were, right? We're, we're not doing any less work. We're not, we, we have no more vacation. We're not any healthier. Right. It's like, it's almost like our lives sort of don't really change. No matter how much technology we apply, our lives generally remain about the same. I think they did that in the happiness quotient too, right? I mean, if certain, if people are cert, a certain level of happy, you know, they get positive news or negative news, they still sort of like level out to that same level of happiness. So I guess it's the same, like no matter what technology, we need to figure out some way of using technology to sort of break people out of the, you know what, your behaviors, you have to change your behaviors. Otherwise you're gonna get those outcomes, right? And eventually we're gonna get tired of all the technology. I tell people, you know, um, I don't need somebody to tell me how many steps I took. I just have my dog and I know like, okay, I've got like, I always go this path because I always see Joe with his dog over here, Mary with her dog. And it's a social thing, but I, you know, I'm very much into rescuing um, uh, animals from shelters and things. I encourage everyone, if they want the best exercise, get a dog from a shelter and it will be your best buddy, your best healthcare companion, because they never complain. They never talk back. You can moan to them, um, but they force you because they got to go outside. And I tell you, it's those simple things, Chris, that really can, it's sustainable in your life. I've been walking a dog, you know, I've been, ever since I was born, I had a dog, but on a long day, I tell everyone, I leave my phone. I leave all of my technology. I put my hat on and I just go walk with my dog and I could talk to myself. So I don't need an app. And he just sits there and walks and he looks up, he looks down, we keep going. And that is sustainable. I can be anywhere with that and it's free in the same place. Um, So technology getting back to, you know, full circle, the more intricate, the more, uh, in a uh, minutiae that it is, the less likely it will be, you know, here five years from now. And that's the mistake startups make. They're like, I got this thing. It's perfect. We're going to market it. We're going to package it up and we're going to try to sell it to some big conglomerate. But in two years, you know, you still need people using it. You still need success stories. You still need relevance. You can't show that. Don't bother investing in it. Don't bother trying it because you're going to get um, very discouraged and um, it doesn't add anything. And I think if we could get people who stop doing that and get more quality versus quantity to the market, maybe the technology um, you know, will level off and we'll say, okay, this is good. This is good. Let's keep this. And let's focus, but people keep throwing things and, you know, confusing. And that's, that's what I'm seeing as well in technology, unfortunately. Yeah, that's a lot of, I think it's a lot of experimentation, but I love, I love the concept of the dog, but maybe there's some way we can turn it into an app. So, you know, those Tamagotchis that people have to take care of, right? If we could just sort of uh, put a, um, a step tracker or a walking device on the Tamagotchi. So you have to walk your Tamagotchi around the block a number of times before it dies. And then if you have like real life consequences, if it dies, then maybe that will drive people to be more healthy. I don't know. 
but it's some it's a motivator right yeah. and find your motivator that really will be for you and what motivates you may not motivate me and that's the thing like the um the obesity today all of the diet programs it's billions and billions of dollars everywhere and there it's people lose weight they gain weight lose weight because it's not sustainable and then we have people who are in the healthcare arena um you know consumers who have those added burdens we are all affected by people who don't care meaning if they're not taking care of themselves we can't force anyone we've it's got to be something inborn but we all pay the price with higher premiums and things like that so i mean we all should care for each other and all give people ideas so like i said you know some brilliant company would um you know hook up with the humane side of the united states and for every diabetic who was able to have a dog and you know uh, some something unique a marketing twist that would help some of these startup apps and things like that or that's salute. a damn good idea someone someone out there should pick this up and create a startup for that that that's fantastic i love it yeah, and it would save it would save your life and save theirs because i can tell you many many um diabetics and pre-diabetics um, that I ran into and I told them the story um, of what you can do. And they actually said, you know, I went to the shelter. There was this little pungy dog. Nobody wanted it. I took it home. I cleaned it up. And you would not believe that my sugars have gone down to normal because that dog makes me go out every day at 6 a.m., 6 p.m. And I don't even have to go to the gym because I was embarrassed to go to the gym because I was too heavy and I didn't want people to see me. So I can give you endless stories. So technology doesn't have to be full of brainiacs. It could be full of passionate people wanting to help others. And yeah. I would surely invest in something like that because it's got the heart thing added to it. You know? I love it. DFB, DFD, dogs for diabetics. We got we got to get it going. We That's totally crazy, have to get it going. Right? And dogs last 15 17 years if and the other thing is for seniors, you know, a lot of the behavioral apps and things people got uh, are anxious, depressed and all that, but a lot of our seniors who may not are, are ready to be, you know, um, not in homes or, you know, stay at home as long as you can. Seniors to adopt senior dogs. A senior dog could only walk, what, 100 feet? Well, if you could walk around your house for 100 feet, um, that would keep you mobile. And then, uh, you know, things like that. So something ingenious. Um, I love free. Those are great. Those are great. Well, thank you so much. This has been fantastic. I love that idea. Somebody's got to do it. And if they don't do it, you and I'll do it. How's that? That's right. That's right. That's right. It's wonderful. And I, I just encourage everyone you know, technology is only an enabler. It doesn't replace the human, human touch, the human thought, and think of something that helps everyone um, and bring it down to a level we can understand. And you could certainly, you know, if you want to cash in on something great, those are the formulas. That's the way to do it. All right. Thank you so much. This has been fantastic. Thanks Thank so much. You. Talk to you Take soon. Care. Bye. Bye.